0: for the clicker not to work. Moving at God's speed, that's what we're thinking about. Um, You would have picked up from those readings that you just heard that they have a certain Sabbath rest sort of flavor to them. And Sabbath rest is a significant part of this conversation about moving at God's speed. But what we're going to be thinking about this morning is way broader than that. We're thinking about what does it look like to move the whole of life into a slightly different gear, operating at a different speed and thinking about why might that be a good thing. Uh, Why might that be something to actually aim for? Um, Before we begin, I I suspect this is true of most sermon series, but it probably feels worth just stating quite frankly again at the beginning here, what will make this series used by God in your life is not mainly what you hear during the sermons. We're all trying to make them as clear and as spiritually practical as possible, but what will impact you is what you do in between the sermons together with God. That's pretty much always been the way for God's people, I think. But the goal is not that we get to the end of this series and think, yeah, we're done. Perceive God, end of. Actually, it's an ongoing thing that we're trying to encourage attitudes and practices and steps, just a way of being that have been tried and tested down the centuries by Christians so that we arrange our lives in a coherent way that enables us to live close to God, enables us to receive power from God for as long as we're putting up bluntly, toddling about on this little old earth. And that's kind of what the aim is. And so it's not something that we get to the end of and we're like done and dusted and move on. Actually, this is something that is ongoing. Let, let's pray, shall we, as we, as we think about this. <coughs> Father, we, we thank you that you know what state of mind and what state of heart that we arrive in this morning. And we just pray now that by your spirit that you would... Help move our hearts. Help move our minds to the speed at which you want to walk. Help us to hear from you. Help us to dwell on those things that you want us to take from here and to think about changing the way that we do life. So be at work in us now, we pray. For your glory, for your sake, and for your mission in this part of the world. Amen. I'm going to start by showing you a picture. Anybody recognize that? A few nods. That is the, that incredibly magic sticky wall that uh, Paul and Sue put up on our church weekend away way back in October. Uh, and for those of you who couldn't make it to the weekend away, or for those of you who are a bit like those people who do the last minute cramming for exams and actually all you can remember is what's coming up for the week ahead, um, the central... Re- thread that ran through that weekend was that that great verse from Matthew 11 that we um, took from the message that says are you tired are you worn out are you burned out on religion come to me get away with me and you'll recover life I'll show you how to take a real rest they are great great words that word rest that appeared a number of times in our Hebrew passage this morning because on that weekend, we, we started to talk about rest and started to think about what Sabbath rest might look like. And some of those pieces of paper um, are your wonderfully candid responses to the notion of Sabbath. And I don't think, maybe I do need, yeah, I possibly should need to be able to zoom in on some of those pieces of paper to make them legible. But clearly, some of you felt kind of strongly enough about this to emphasize your feelings by putting it in quite large letters with exclamation marks and underlining. Um, but just to pick out a few, we... When we were talking about Sabbath, some of you put rules, as in, I don't think I, I love rules sort of way, it wasn't that, that wasn't kind of the feeling I was getting, boring, unrealistic, impossible, nice idea, again, I think probably with a healthy dollop of sarcasm thrown in there. So you had some pretty interesting responses to this whole idea of Sabbath rest. Now, if we had changed the subject matter a little bit, if I had said, okay, give me your thoughts on do not steal would you have gone boring or do not murder unrealistic nice idea and yet they appear in the same list don't they what we call the good old ten commandments there is something about this idea of rest that we feel instinctively a little bit different about that somehow we struggle to appreciate the weight of it and kind of question like why is that there why is that there in the Ten Commandments? To come at it from a slightly different angle and possibly a little bit more positively, just think about that encounter you, we heard it in Mark's Gospel with Jesus and the Pharisees, where Jesus is apparently doing something that they don't like on a Sabbath. But he, he ends up with this summary statement, doesn't he? Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And again, it's something that we struggle to get hold of. But the idea that Sabbath is a beautiful gift to us from God, something to be enjoyed, it was something for us. Now, just as we start out on this exploration, I want to be really clear about what our issue is, because I don't think it's quite the same as the issue that the Pharisees had. They are Sabbath observant. In fact, they are super Sabbath observant, and. They've kind of brought in a whole load of stuff that's actually unhelpful, a bunch of rules and regulations that was never intended for Sabbath. They have over-egged the pudding. That is not our problem. I don't think our problem is even under-egging the pudding. I'm not sure most of us realize that actually we have a pudding to enjoy at all. That is our problem. And I would argue that we've ended up in that place we find ourselves able to make those sort of remarks that were on those post-its, either resisting outright the idea of Sabbath rest or just writing it off as a lost cause. It's just impossible with the way my life is, with kids and jobs and all that sort of stuff. I would say that very attitude is just one more symptom of the speed at which we do life. So we're going to spend a few moments thinking about, okay, what is that speed? And what is its impact? And then what might it look like to move towards a different sort of speed, a God speed perhaps? I wonder, as we've been going through this Pursuit of God series, if I asked you a question, what do you think is the greatest threat to following Jesus in our day in the UK? If I asked you that question, what would you come up with? What would you say? There there could be any number of reasons. Rising secularism, the breakdown of the family unit, internet porn, the erosion of traditional values. There's a whole list that you you could pick some from. But what would you give top spot? Because there are some Christian observers who in the past couple of decades have given what might seem a surprising answer to that question. There's a guy called Dallas Woodard, he's one of them, and he said this hurry is the greatest spiritual enemy in our life. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. It's like, really? I know we can get a bit frenetic and all, but hurry is the great enemy of the Western world in terms of our spirituality? I doubt hurry would have made my list at all, let alone taken top spots. And yet, at the same time, when someone sort of says it and begins to identify it a little bit more, there's something in me that goes, there's a bit of a resonance in my soul, and I think, yeah, maybe you're onto something. Carl Jung, the psychologist who provided the whole framework for the Myers-Briggs personality test, the kind of introvert-extrovert thing, he said this, he said, "Hurry is not of the devil. Hurry is the devil. Again, when we hear that word devil, I'm not sure what comes to mind. It might be the stereotypical image of Red horns, forked tail, and you quickly put aside because that's not very biblical. But I suspect neither is it the stream of alerts on our phone, the lining up of the third sport for Johnny during the week, or the Saturday morning at the office. When I think about, over the years, how we've tried to develop vision here at St. John's, one of the tension points has always been not so much whether we've latched onto a great and godly vision, something that's compelling and feels like it's come from God, but it's always been that lurking question, do we have the capacity? In other words, do we have time to really go for it? There's a therapist who's spoken to thousands of church leaders, and he often comes back with this when they present their vision, and he comes back with them and says, yeah, it's a great vision, but the number one problem you will face is time. And then hear this, People are just too busy to live emotionally healthy and spiritually rich and vibrant lives. We inhabit a time when we try and cram more and more things into less and less time. Think about it. Ask When you ask someone, how are you doing? We go, yeah, yeah, I'm doing all right, busy, but... And that, that is the, almost the universal answer that we give these days. And it it cuts across types of job, social standing, stage of life. There is that kind of refrain that, yeah, we're busy. And the slightly frightening thing is that hurry is the issue that underpins so many others. Chronic anger, low-level anxiety, digital addiction, outrage culture. All that stuff that we see ever more prevalent in our world. If you take a bit of convincing still and you think, actually, oh, this doesn't really apply to me, here's a quick diagnosis tool. If you're not sure whether you suffer from hurry sickness, this is devised by someone, and check out, check out the title for this, a time perspective therapist. <laughs> that is a thing, apparently, a time perspective Anyway, do you have any of these three symptoms? Number one, you move from one checkout line to another at the supermarket because it's shorter. Anybody do that? Yeah, may possibly. Uh, you come to a stoplight and you count the car lights ahead of you and you contemplate changing lanes because you've, you've done the maths and you've worked out which one's shorter. Or number three, you multitask to the point that you forget one of the tasks that was on your list. There's a few nods going on. It is worth making a distinction at this point. There are different types of business. You might have a lot to do and your life is full of things that matter. And you give yourself to those meaningful pursuits. And by that definition, Jesus was busy. And it's a good thing. And, and you know we are made to work. We've, we've talked about that in other series. But there is another type of business that is called a pathological business. Where you have not just a lot to do. But when you have too much to do. And the only way to keep up is to Hurry. It's that second type of business that Bill Gates was referring to when he said busy is the new stupid. The only way for us to cram it in is to speed up our minds, our bodies, our relationships to this frenetic pace so we can get it all in before the end of the day. But make no mistake, this hurry sickness has implications for our emotional and our spiritual health. I know I'm throwing a fair bit of research at you, but this one's one's really quite penetrating, I think. There's a guy called Michael Zigarelli. He conducted a survey on over 20,000 Christians across the world. And he was trying to identify what are the obstacles to spiritual growth. And, And sure enough, he concluded that busyness was one of the major distractions from the spiritual life. But his cycle, he identified this cycle. I'm not going to call it a life cycle. It's probably more of a death cycle that was particularly kind of arresting. He came up with this hypothesis. He says it starts at number one, Christians get sucked into lives of business and hurry and overload. And that's kind of where it starts, which leads to number two, God becoming more marginalized in a Christian's life, which inevitably moves on to number three, a deteriorating relationship with God, which moves to four, where Christians then become ever more vulnerable to secular, to worldly assumptions about how to live. Which leads to number five, which is more conformity to a culture of business and hurry and overload. And so the cycle goes on and on and on. Are we all having fun yet? (laughs) To make you feel the better, he identified that pastors, church leaders, were one of the worst offenders Up there with lawyers, so whichever job I did, I was stuffed. So the point is, we're all in this together, but actually the point that I really want to drive home and I really want you to sink in is that there is a whole lot more at stake than a bit of emotional well-being here. As if that wasn't important enough. I mean, I know that most of us, I think, struggle to live a life of hurry and a happy life, if you're going to put it in those terms. I know that I certainly do. Some people can do that. Some people seem. They just are really high capacity and living at that pace doesn't seem to bring their mood down. But leading a loving and compassionate life, that's kind of different. Those people seem to be able to get through, even have fun with the adrenaline rush. But the spiritual life with God and other people, that's a whole other thing. Dan, a couple of weeks ago, he referred quite obliquely To attention, and how that might be something really critical to our pursuit of God. And this idea of pathological busyness, distraction, restlessness, they are major blocks to that pursuit that we're exploring, to our spiritual lives. And by spiritual lives, I mean the really concrete reality of our capacity to receive and give love in relationship with God and with others. So we receive love from God, we return that love to him, and then we extend that love out to others. And ultimately, when we get good at doing that, we practice extending love to even our enemies. That's what I mean when I talk about the spiritual life. But hurry is incompatible with love. They do not mix. They are like oil and water. I think my top ten epic fails as a, as a dad, as a vicar, just as a, simply as a human being, are when I'm in a hurry, when I'm late for that appointment, or I'm being unrealistic with my to-do list, or I'm just trying to squeeze too much in. It's no coincidence that the dear old Apostle Paul, in his definition of love, that wonderful definition in 1 Corinthians 13, what's first up? Love is patience. Another way to translate that is love is unhurried. It's not in a rush. Love takes all the time that is necessary. If you haven't quite caught the message yet, which I've been beating you around the head with, to restate what I think is up for grabs here, John Orberg simply says, I cannot live in the kingdom of God with a hurried soul. It's impossible. No one can. Because hurry keeps us from the love and the joy and the peace of God's kingdom. So what is to be done about this chronic condition that I think we're not even mainly aware of how much it impacts us? You may be disappointed but not surprised to hear that there are no quick fixes There are simply no changes that we can make which cause all of these symptoms to simply evaporate overnight. For the most part, we've spent years, if not decades, building this way of living into our lives. And I think it will take similar amounts of time for God or for us to position ourselves under God and allow him to unpick and restore new rhythms. The solution is definitely not more time. Wishing there were 10 more hours in the day is not the answer to this problem. It would only lead us to filling, it, filling our lives with more of the same and probably feeling more crunched and burnt out and frayed around the edges anyway. The beginning of a solution, I think, is to slow down, to simplify our lives and become people of love in the mold of Jesus. And that involves developing a set of practices and relational rhythms that creates space to give and receive love. Sabbath is one of those practices that we talked about at the beginning, but it's a much wider, much bigger pitch than that. But I'm going to give you just some really, really simple starting points just to get the ball rolling. But as I was saying at the beginning, this is part of an ongoing walk that will take a long, long time. So this week, the first two are are really just about what you're focusing your attention on. So, Go into this week and pay attention to the speed at which you move through your day and through your, your week. Deliberately, factor in moments when you engage in this deliberate act of noticing. If it helps you, write it down. Actually, write, do something physical. Write it down and notice what you observe, what it feels like. Clock, where some of the things that we've been talking about appear to ring true not as a guilt trip but, but simply just to notice second thing pay attention to where the world you inhabit encourages you to speed up and think about how does it do that it doesn't take too much to think about how our world values speed and speaks negatively of slow you don't have to look too far that we We use slow as a pejorative, don't we? Someone of low IQ, what do we call them? If you go to a restaurant and the service is lousy, it's slow. But again, just pay attention to where the world is pushing you towards fast and discouraging you from slow. And clock what forces are at play there. Then move on to actually practicing slowing down. If you're a type A personality, pull out your calendar and murder eight things on it. Cancel some stuff. Think about what it might mean to put away your device for a night. Get tea with the best mates, whatever it takes, but find some ways to practice the spiritual discipline of actually slowing down where you deliberately actually have to wait for stuff. So don't change cues in the supermarket even when you have the opportunity. Deliberately drive in the slow lane at exactly the speed limit, not three miles an hour over or even more. And just know what that feels like. Because actually, I suspect at the beginning, it will feel deeply uncomfortable. <coughs> Notice how hard you find it just to operate at a slightly slower pace. Fourth thing you could do, you could do a device management exercise. Um, I've been thinking about this for... few months now, but since Christmas I've turned off all my uh, notifications on my phone. I deleted Facebook from my phone, and I've still got it on my computer, but I deleted it from my phone. Um, Turned off all my news feeds, which were just like a killer for my distraction levels, um, and turned off all the pop-ups and reminders and everything like that. Now, those of you who have ever witnessed my level of social media use anyway will recognise actually I wasn't a big user anyway. But even I have found actually quite hard to describe what an impact that's had on me, just in the space of two months, just in terms of being present in the moment, being present in the moment. I'm not saying you have to abandon all those things, but all I've done is I've shifted it to saying, actually, I have a a particular time of the day when I check those things, do it for whatever length of time, and then leave it. Number five, and this is where we start to get into the, into the good stuff, really. Read one of the gospel accounts, okay? That in itself, I encourage you to do it in one sitting. will demand that you take a bit of time out. But read one of the gospel accounts and do it through the lens of looking at how Jesus orders his life in terms of the routines and the habits that he adapts, the pace at which he moves, how he navigates life. Because we're sometimes apt to overlook the fact that the Gospels are biographies. And actually, if we're reading a biography of somebody who inspires us and encourages us, we're often looking for, actually, how does he do life? How can I I follow in their way of doing things? As opposed to just kind of cherry-picking some of the the pick-me-up teachings that we sometimes do when it comes to the Gospels. Dallas Willard, again, was asked one word. He was asked to describe Jesus in one word. And again, I don't know what you'd go for. He didn't, he didn't opt for loving or gracious or powerful, any of those things. He said, relaxed. Jesus was rarely in a hurry. He was always so present to the moment, to the people he was with. And as you go through the gospel, just notice how many of Jesus' teachings were responses to interruptions. It is a staggering amount. I don't know how you are with interruptions. C.S. Lewis said, how you respond to an interruption tells you who you really are. If you're a parent, that's like, oh, ouch. But the point of the exercise is to see more and more that if we want to pursue God, then there is something about us having to put on the brakes. We can't love well if we don't slow down. It takes time to let God love us into our best selves. See, for all our talk in the Western church of a relationship with God, a personal relationship with God, it's easy to forget that a relationship, at least an intimate one, takes a lot of time. The final thing, take steps towards practicing Sabbath, which literally means to stop. We've talked actually a fair bit over the years about the theology of Sabbath, so I don't intend to rehearse that territory. But remember, Sabbath is not the same as a day off. I know that over the years I've generally been quite hot on trying to safeguard my own day off, making sure that I don't do any work then. But I know I've got a long, long way to go to make it look more like a Sabbath day. And one of the slightly counterintuitive things about Sabbath... Sally hinted at it at the beginning is that we find rest, entering God's rest, actually requires work. Our Hebrews passage talks about making every effort to enter that rest. This will not come easy to us who have generally neglected the practice completely. So, how is it different from a day off? Well, The ancient rabbis, they tell us that it's not an act of God sort of collapsing into a heavenly couch in complete exhaustion, but actually God's rest is an act of celebration and enjoyment. We also know that God made the Sabbath holy. So Sabbath rest is supposed to involve rest and worship, but worship in in the broadest sense, the most holistic sense of the word, really, really not limited to singing songs, but essentially anything that helps you index your heart towards grateful recognition of God's goodness and of God's reality. Anything that enables your heart to go to that place where you want to express gratitude and thanks for who he is. Sabbath is supposed to make you feel alive and free. Another word that the rabbis use to, to capture sort of the spirit of Sabbath is delight. The Sabbath is a day of delight, So despite this rather sad, almost legalistic history associated with Sabbath, you've got some markers out there that's what it's supposed to incorporate. But they are hugely flexible categories within which we have a huge amount of freedom to experiment. So it's rest, resistance to the world of fast. It's worshipful, gratitude for God's goodness. It's celebratory. There's a party spirit to it. It's life-giving and delightful. It's supposed to replenish your soul. It's like when you think about it in those terms, it's like, why wouldn't we do this? Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. I'm going to finish up just by reading you an extract from a book that I encourage all of you to get if you're even halfway serious about thinking about changing the way or the speed at which you walk and moving towards walking at God's pace. It's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. It's from that Dallas Willard quote, but it's by a guy called John Mark Comer. Um, And his family have been experimenting with Sabbath for about five years already. And he says it's been a real trial and error thing, and they feel like they've still got a long way to go. But again, that thing of it, it's not a quick fix. This will take time and experimentation. But this is where they are currently at. Um, And hopefully this will just encourage you a little bit. Think, Actually, that is something that I can get behind (laughs) So he says, just before sunset on Friday, we finish up all of our to-do lists and homework and grocery shopping and responsibilities. He's got quite young kids. We power down our devices and put them in a box in the closets. We gather around the table as a family. Then we open a bottle of wine. We light some candles. We read a psalm and we pray. Then we feast for 24 hours. After the Sabbath dinner, we bake a giant cookie in a cast iron pan. A full square foot of chocolate yumminess. Then we dump a full gallon of ice cream on the top. We let it melt a little. Then we eat the whole thing as a family right out of the pan. It's a symbolic nod to our unity as a family and our love of carbohydrates. <laughs> as we indulge, we share what we are grateful for that week. Then we sleep in on Saturday morning. We drink coffee, we read our Bibles, we pray some more, we spend some time together, we walk to the park or make a fire, we get lost in great novels, we cuddle and we nap. all sounds a little bit idealistic at this point. And then he says, about midday on Saturday, something weird happens to me. It's like my soul catches up to my body. I feel free. Free from the need to do more, get more be more and on Saturday evening when I turn the phone back on and re-enter the modern world I do so slowly and wow does that ever feel good I hope that just wets your appetite a little bit it may sound a little idealistic but it's taken him five years for them as a family to get to that point that's the pace at which he's arrived there And it needs to be set in context as well about what it is that they're trying to achieve. And that's why I commend that book to you. (coughs) This is not an easy thing. And some of you will be sitting there resisting. It's like, what is this? Why are you talking about this? Others of you will just be like, yeah, I want that, but I don't know where to begin. Grab the book and start a conversation. It's got to be something that we do together as a church community. And we need to help each other with this. I'm just going to invite you to be still for a moment. We're going to move into time of worship. Um, but let's, let's not rush into that. Let's just be, be still for a moment or two in complete quietness. Father just as we sit here in quiet I suspect many of us are conscious that our attention, our minds dart all over the place that this is not something that we find easy but if it is genuinely about being more open to your love in our lives being more open to the power of your spirit being at work in our lives we ask that you would instruct us Help us to know what it means to to walk at your speed, the speed of love. (coughs) Not just for selfish ends, but so that we might become more effective witnesses to who you are and your love. So as we sing together, we pray that you'd minister to us, that you'd continue to speak to us. Help us just to start with small steps, moving towards a different pace. Jesus, we ask it for your name and for your glory's sake. Amen.